0: Stand here and listen to this, Bologna. He won't know. He doesn't stand for Bologna. Sounds like a lot of supernatural baloney to me. Supernatural, perhaps. Bologna perhaps not
1: hello my little darklings you're in for quite a treat tonight this is a really interesting episode and we are setting the way back machines all the way to the year 2006 my first foray into the paranormal radio realm launching that year was a bit tenuous trying to come up with guests it would be amazing and at the end of 2005, I had been invited to Penn State University to be a special guest of Grant and Jason from TAPS, from the TV show Ghost Hunters. So I was in attendance and had a chance to meet so many fantastic people, people that helped launch my radio career. Jason Hawes, and Grant Wilson, my hosts for the weekend. I also got a chance to meet the Godfrey, Father Paranormal himself, John Zaffis, and the queen of the nighttime world, Rosemary Allen Guiley, who we've sadly lost. And at the end of the conference, I got a chance to meet Lorraine Warren. And it was truly a privilege. I had never met Lorraine before, and I was invited up on stage to say hello after the show, and she greeted me with open arms and a large hug and a beautiful smile and welcomed me. So months later, when I had begun broadcasting, I nervously reached out and I called the number and Lorraine Warren answered. And I told her who I was and she said she remembered me. And I asked her if she would be willing to come on my show and talk about her life and career. And she granted it. It was a one hour episode back then, truly a one hour episode. And uh, This is the original interview, uh, minus all the original commercials and bumpers and ads, but this is the original interview in its entirety and gives you a unique and interesting perspective into the world of Ed and Lorraine Warren. This goes down as one of my first really happy moments as a radio show host because the line of questioning that I chose to begin with Made her happy. She had said nobody had ever asked these type of questions before, and at the end of this interview, she gave me the best compliment and said that in all the years she's done interviews, nobody had ever shown the kind of caring and respect that I had. Tomorrow we'll be back with another bonus episode. Tomorrow's episode is "The Conjuring Phantoms of the Past." Lorraine Warren, again joined me in 2006 two weeks after the passing of her beloved husband, Ed Warren. I was the first person she granted an interview to. I think it was because of this very first interview that you're about to hear. So again, I'm going to ask you to be be a little patient with your host on this show because he's brand spanking new into the world of radio at that point. It had been a 20-year hiatus since the last time I'd cracked open a microphone and let my personality shine. So I'm a little tentative, and you can hear a little nervous as I talk to one of the true legends in the field. And I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is The Conjuring, the Warrens' first real case with Lorraine Warren guest coming on to the show this is somebody that anybody that's involved in the paranormal or research has probably read one of their books has seen a movie based on one of their stories or so on. We've got with us uh, psychic researcher, paranormal investigator Lorraine Warren. Good evening, Lorraine. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Good evening, David. It's nice to be with you.
1: I appreciate you t- spending the time with us this evening to uh, talk about your cases. And you know, most people and we'll, we'll mention this real quickly up front just to get it out there, and then we we'll talk about the other stuff that we've got. Most people are going to be familiar with you from the Amityville horror
2: case. Yes. Well, we, our career went farther back than the Amityville horror, but. Um, The Amityville Horror is probably the most publicized haunting uh, in the world because it didn't matter what countries that we were in, everybody knew about Amityville. You know, it's like the movie The Exorcist, which, of course, was based on a true case history that my husband had the true files of, the actual files, I should put it that way.
1: On the real exorcist case? Yes. Well, I didn't know that you were involved in that in, in a sense as well.
2: Oh, yes. You know, these are all cases that are brought to the public's attention, but remember, the cases of that nature are happening all the time. Mm -hmm. They're just not brought into the public focus, you know, and when, as your opening stated, about people not escaping it, one of the ways to best escape is to not get involved with occult practices.
1: Together, you guys have been investigating the paranormal and doing psychic research for you know, quite a few years before the Amityville Horror. Could we start at the beginning here? You and Ed met, realized that you both had an interest.
2: Wow. Nobody ever does that, David. (laughs) That's nice. We met, um, I have never dated anybody but my husband. I met my husband when I was 16 years old. I was attending a private Catholic girl's school. I was home for the summer. My husband was an usher in the theater that I went to one evening with a group of girls from CYO, which is a Catholic youth organization. And they introduced me to him. And I had never been out. You know, I had never dated or anything. It wasn't, didn't seem like it was important to me at that time in my life. I met Ed. We, we did date, but it wasn't like you'd call serious dating. And he went into the Navy at age 17. He was a hero in World War II. His ship went down in the North Atlantic on February 5th of 1945. I have to stop and think sometimes. Sure. We were married on survivor's leave. Now, he never talked about the home that he grew up in, nor did I talk about the things that happened to me. I I thought no one had really any understanding of things that I tried to explain where I could see lights around people and people, certain people's lights were much brighter than others. And I didn't know what it meant. The nuns at school kind of frowned upon it. And my parents were very, very loving Irish Catholic parents and really didn't understand it. And I could see it put stress on, on them as well as the nuns at school. So I more or less kept my feelings to myself. I didn't know that I was looking at the human aura of people i didn't really understand that at all i didn't know why
1: were they colored lights or was it just a they, white it, light it
2: started it started with mainly the lightness but then it began to develop into color i have never had training in my work it's all been very very natural but i did know or didn't when it when i first started to talk about it, I felt everybody could see this, David. I didn't know what psychic meant. I didn't know what the word aura meant. I didn't know any of these things, but I did know that the night I met my husband that something did happen. But why it happened, I didn't know, and why I moved to do what, what I did at that time, I still don't know. But he was going to walk all of us girls home. So as a result of it, We passed his home first, and we convinced him he didn't have to walk us home, you know. And so he was just talking and chatting and doing things like that with us. Very clean-cut kid. I can still remember even what he was wearing. I can remember what I was wearing that many years ago. And he ran across the street to go up a couple of steps into his home, And that young, athletic, 140-pound kid, I didn't see him. I could see my husband as he appeared to me uh, in my mind's eye as he Hmm. looked just before my husband collapsed over five years ago. Wow. And I wrote in my diary, I'll spend the rest of my life with you. But I never told him that until well after our marriage and our daughter was born. And he always just kidded about it. He made light of it. He would say such things. They call that entrapment. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so anyway, that was really love
1: at first sight, huh?
2: It was love at first sight. I mean, he had dated. I had not. But I mean, he was never involved in any other serious relationship. So, all right, he comes home, and he picked up. You know, he his education. And things of that nature, he picked that all up. So we went to Pear Art School, which was a subsidiary of Yale at that time. Okay. And we made our living as artists for many, many years. And the art funded us and enabled us to travel. And my daughter, our daughter, um, Judy, would stay with my parents. And that is how we made our living. He began to talk about this home he grew up in, in Bridgeport, and the things that happened. My re- reply would always be to him, Honey, you're not supposed to believe in things like that. You're Catholic, the same as I am. And when people die, they either go, you know, to heaven, hell, or purgatory.
1: Can you give and us a little insight? What, what type of things... Did Ed see growing up? What, what was, uh, his He lived
2: home? in a home from the age of five until the age of 12 that had an enormous impact on his life. The Things that happened in that home were so terrifying and so frightening that if he went home as a young boy and no one was home, his father was on the state police, if no one was home, he would sleep outside rather than to go in that house. It was so bad, the things that happened in that home. He talked about the clergy always being there and always blessing the home, but there was never, ever an answer to what took place in that house and why these things occurred.
1: Was Ed an only child?
2: No. Ed had a twin sister and an older brother. In fact, his older brother was five years older than him, and his older brother passed away maybe about seven or eight years ago now, and on his deathbed, Ed said to him, Where were you, Frank? Where were you when all of that stuff happened in that Jane Street house? He told my husband for the first time, both of them as older men now, I could never stay in that house. That that house was so bad. And he would say he was in sports, he would stay either at the coach's home. He would stay with a neighbor. He would stay with friends, but he never wanted to stay in that house.
1: Did it affect Ed's sister as well?
2: The sister would always be with the mother. She would, wherever the mother would go, sister would go. But the boys were brought up to believe they were men. You know, men can right. take care of themselves. Right. You know, and I guess that's how Ed developed his maturity, to be able to enlist in the Navy and to make four crossings across the North Atlantic in active duty before he ever reached his 18th birthday. It, it, of course, naturally, it builds a lot of character, and he does have tremendous character, and everybody will talk about that. So he began to talk about it, and this is what really, it really boils down to this, David. Okay. He needed to satisfy his curiosity regarding what occurred in that home. Did that really happen to other families, or was his family just picked to have that happen? And what did it all mean?
1: Were his parents affected by what was going on in that house? definitely. Okay, so it wasn't just something that... No, no, no. As soon as mom and dad came home, everything settled down.
2: Okay. why the mother wouldn't stay home and the father was working. Mm. As a result of all of this, he began to realize that he wasn't all alone. Right. You know, but every haunting, as every family, are not the same. The emotional makeup of people who live in these homes are very, very important. And the structure of the family is very, very important. Now, its dad was very, very religious, but very, very stern, a very stern man. And so, you know, that's how he treated his family exactly that way I could never say nothing about his father nothing Mm -hmm. I can't say anything about his parents period (laughs) and for him that had an impact on his life his whole life was affected by that never answers say things to him like "I I can't believe that that you want to do this I can't believe you want to go in these places because I don't. Right. <laughs> it, it, no, I don't. I, you
1: were the voice of reason, huh?
2: <laughs> I don't want to go in these places. Sure. But the more homes that I would go into, and to be very personal about it with you, I didn't think I was doing something that was right, so I would confess it. I would go to confession hmm. as as a Catholic and confess to doing this because I felt I was doing something wrong. And Of course, it took a long, long time and it took uh, counseling with a Catholic exorcist to make me realize that, you know, what I was doing was perfectly all right. It was what was motivating me to do it, and that was very positive. And my psychic ability developed right along with it. Everything that has happened to me regarding my own psychic ability, has happened very naturally. So I discern in these homes what is going on. I discern for cases like the possession cases. I discern for the police where murders and things of that nature are concerned. That has been my role, but always working with my husband. Some years ago now, we were out in California and I became involved with Uh, Dr. Thelma Moss and Dr. Johnson at UCLA, where they were doing research on curlean photography. That is the ability to photograph the human aura around every living object that God created. That fascinated me. Here is an answer. Here is something that I had been able to see from the time I was a little nine-year-old girl that I could see these lights around people. And as a result of that, science had the answer for being able to read these things, which is quite fascinating, by the way.
1: And when if you it, when you were able to see these auras, when you saw the photography, did the pictures match up with the colors and the lights yes, that you saw? Yes, they do. Okay.
2: So what they wanted to do with me, they would allow me to work with them in the lab if i allowed them to work with me as a natural psychic no training as a result of that gave me confidence you know and then working with the priestess father charbonneau that also who by by the way became a very personal friend to and, and myself and had worked a great deal and still very much involved in our life that's kind of the stepping stone that got us started into the work we're involved in today.
1: Were you seeing spirits growing up as well, or were you just seeing the aura lights? I was
2: just seeing the aura. It was. I never did begin to actually see spirits until I started going in these homes where active phenomena was going on. Seeing the aura, and then the next step of that would have been the spontaneous thing that happened to me at age 16.
1: Well, you know what? Why don't we cover that? We're going to go to a quick break here. Our guest is Lorraine Warren. She's a psychic researcher, a paranormal investigator, and along with her husband, Ed Warren, they are probably two of the most prominently and well-known paranormal and psychic investigators in the world. We'll be back to talk more with Lorraine about her personal experiences and along with what she did with Ed throughout the long and lustrous career that they've had investigating the paranormal. We'll do that right after this. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run, maybe take a nap, read a book, or just show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However, there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my Darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on, and if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. BetterHelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide.
0: Haunted Magazine is a publication dedicated to all things paranormal and spooky. Each issue features articles, interviews, and stories about ghosts, hauntings, and other unexplained phenomena.
2: The magazine also covers topics such as cryptozoology, UFOs, and other aspects of the supernatural. Expect to find in-depth
0: investigations of haunted locations, first-hand accounts of ghostly encounters, and reports of paranormal events and attractions. The magazine also includes features on the latest ghost hunting technology and techniques, as well as tips for those looking to search the supernatural on their own. Issue 37, The Frights of Spring, will be in stores from March 6. (laughs) So remember,
1: don't be normal, be paranormal and order your copy today. Summer is almost here and it's time to find that new home. Start making that dream a reality. If you want to purchase a new home, but you're just not sure where to start, your first step is knowing your buying power. Well, how can you do that? Very simply, Contact my wife, Winnie Schrader. She's a loan officer. NMLS number 2322331. You can contact her at 763-203-9641. So if you're looking to buy a home or your first haunted house, make that call 763-203-9641. Winnie Schrader's with you every step of the way. Contact her today. Our guest this evening is lorraine warren lorraine and ed warren have been paranormal investigators and uh, psychic researchers for decades and have covered some of the most amazing cases in the world and right now we're going back in time we're trying to find out a little bit about lorraine and ed when they started this and as we heard in the first segment we were talking about uh, her meeting ed and and ed's fascination with the paranormal and her abilities to see the uh, aura around people and being able to test it against actual photography that could do the same thing so just before we went to break, you said that there was something that really kind of kicked it into gear for you to let you know that you're in the right path. Why don't we continue there, Lorraine?
2: Well, I, I guess once, uh, once I realized regarding the aura, that, that kind of opened my eyes to the fact, not the important aspect of the fact that science was able to prove something of that nature, but the fact that that must have meant that there were many people that we're also seeing that. Otherwise, why was that research being done in the area of curling exactly. of and photography? And now in all these years, there is a man in Moscow, and he's an attorney, and he is involved with a Russian Orthodox church over there in, in helping them, involved in exorcisms and all. And I've been helping him with these cases and helping him to better understand and teaching him things that are, are helpful to him. Somehow, the, the subject that you just interviewed me regarding uh, myself and, and the curlian photography, and he pronounced it a, a little different with his Russian dialect, said about his dad, his dad was one of the inventors of that. Oh, wow. And I think, you know, what a small, small world.
1: And especially when you get into the paranormal, it seems everybody yes, is connected you, now.
2: <laughs> exactly. You, yes, you do in one way or the other. Our faith is something that's very, very important to Ed and I.
1: Well, it would have to be with what the, what you guys have been up against. You have to have some serious faith, I would guess, to yes. uh, go up against demons and, and mm-hmm. uh, evil entities and things like that.
2: You do, exactly. And my husband, of course, chose to study the area of religious demonology. And as a lay person, there were very, very few. I know you can go on the Internet today and see Many of them referring to themselves as they are not. I don't know why they whether they seem to like the title or think it gives them importance or what. But Ed put tremendous amount of energy and time, and not just understanding our own faith, but understanding other religions, and uh, interviewing and talking to clergy and studying both the New Testament and the Old Testament. And we've worked with rabbis. We've worked with Buddhist monks in the mountains of Japan. we worked a great deal with the Anglican Church in in the United Kingdom for 27 years. So it isn't just we stay steadfast to our Catholic faith, but we work with all of these religious clergy. And we will always make a point of saying, we would kneel for a rabbi, we would kneel for a Buddhist monk, we would kneel for any of them just as we would for a Catholic priest.
1: Out of respect, sure. Now it's, did you find by doing these these travels, all these different cultures and religions, wh- were you finding the same type of events happening throughout the entire yes, world?
2: Yes, yes you were. You were fighting exactly the same thing in all these different cultures. So because of that, their rights might be different say the Buddhist monks, Mm -hmm. to have the honor of going into these monasteries, myself as a woman, Mm -hmm. to go into these monasteries and work with them, to do it with the Catholic clergy where your cloistered clergy are concerned in the Catholic faith, and me as a woman to go in, wow, you you don't really know what, what that is like.
1: Now, you've seen spirits You've seen physical manifestations of spirits. Do they have auras as well?
2: It depends. Remember, when a spirit appears, Mm -hmm. they are being fed through our energy. Without the energy, they can't manifest. All right. So it's us that is activating that spirit. We're doing that or the energy of the room, or the energy of other people, or the energy of nature is is what is activating the spirit. That's why you see today uh, in so many photographs these ghost globules, Mm -hmm. you know, all these. And if you study this, if you watch the progression of them, what will happen, David, is they begin to form, all into this big, huge veil, which is a ghost veil. And you can see it. We have evidence of it where it touches down, like onto the ground, and then goes up into the atmosphere. That is what the spirit is drawing from in order to be able to manifest, in order to be able to show themselves safe on film. When you take a photograph, of a ghost or any spirit when you are able to get that in, in a photograph you are not photographing a ghost you are not they are implanting their image onto your film that is what is taking place at that time
1: okay so do you see the auras then around yes. them or if the aura I see around the spirit most likely just be an extension of my aura
2: so let's say something is going to manifest it's going to be attracted by your aura okay not as a man or a woman or as a young child it's going to be attracted by your aura like attracts like and that is why people going out and taking these photographs of ghosts always shoot 3 or 4 times in one location right to give it the opportunity you know to manifest so In other words, David, you and I could be out there. It's only going to be attracted to one of us, not to all of us. And we may not see it with the physical eye, or we may.
1: Well, that was another question I had here. Now, I was wondering, you know, there are so many cases where where only one person in the group can see a spirit. Exactly. This spirit is able to tap into my energy flow so it can make itself almost like a little movie. It's showing itself to me.
2: Exactly. Yes. Okay, so it's, it's tapping or, or into my... Else you're, you're that psychically sensitive. Okay. So, I mean, there, there's more than one rule of thumb.
1: I can see that working a lot more, that they're using our energy and our personal energy, and if it's like attracts like, mm-hmm. that this spirit can see that I'm the person in this group that they would most be able to communicate with. Maybe exactly. we're on the same wavelength, if you will.
2: Exactly. So
1: they come in and they they blend into my energy field, which allows me to see them, and why other people may not. Mm-hmm. And it probably depends on your energy field, how strong it is, if if it allows other people to see it as well.
2: Well, it it, it would depend, like like I say about the like attracting. Right. You know that there are people that if you went into a crowded room, or even if you were in a, in a public place and you were either lost, you know that you're going to look around for that one person to approach. Sure. We all do. But, but uh, yes, like attract, it definitely does attract light. And you, you you see it all the time. You have to realize. And then you, you know these people that seem to go through light, and they just seem to attract people to them. Right. Not because they're so handsome, because they're so beautiful. But what is it? What
1: does it mean? It's that energy and that light that they're putting out. Like a moth to a flame. You just have that light burning and it draws you in. Okay, I I can see that. Now let me ask you, now you you two, Ed and and yourself, have discussed your, your... Past and your abilities and his want to go out and help people so that they're not going through what he went through. Not
2: at first it wasn't help. Oh, okay. We didn't know know what to do to help him.
1: Okay. Uh,
2: No. It uh, was just to investigate. It was just to satisfy his curiosity. Then we realized it was falling into all of these different categories. You know, they weren't all the same. What did that mean?
1: Do you remember the first investigation that the two of you went out on to try to further this (laughs) information?
2: One of the first was mind-boggling for me. We were making a delivery of paintings in New Hampshire. This other couple wanted to go with us. They hadn't started their family yet, and Judy was just a baby, so she was going to stay home with my mom and dad. So we went up there to make this delivery of paintings, and Ed spotted a sign and it was called Henniker. And he said, Henniker? And he made this big deal out of it. He said, I read about this haunting that takes place uh, in this town of Henniker. And his buddy, who had been a childhood buddy of Ed's, and said to him, there must be a million Hennikers all over the place. He turned a curve in the road, and it was a sign, David, it is still there today. Okay. This is the only Henniker on earth. <laughs> and so uh, so anyway, we went to New England College, which was in its infancy then. You know, everybody there, the students were about the same age or maybe just a little younger than, than Ed and I and Jerry and Yolanda. We went up and asked them if they knew anything about this ocean-born Mary house. Oh, yes. So they told us how to get there, and this was a very, very unique kind of a haunting. Uh, and this woman's spirit continued to haunt this house. You want to see a spooky-looking house? You you would have to see this place high on a hill, late at night, dirt road, and it's on a mountain. And we pull up now. This is something about myself I don't even understand to this day. Okay. I'm not afraid to enter a dark house.
1: Well, that makes one of us here.
2: (laughs) Well, I think it's because I've always been very secure. I was secure in my home. I'm secure in my faith, secure in my marriage. I've just been always a very secure person. I always felt that there was nothing that could hurt me mm-hmm. because I had faced. We pulled up, and um, just the two couples, and it was, a, it was a rickety old fence all out in front. It was a great big hulk of a home. Darkness, total darkness. I said I would go up to the door. And we knew that a man by the name of Lewis Roy owned the house, an old man. That much we knew. So as they watched, From the car, from the third floor of this house, they watched this light come all the way down to the second floor, down to the first floor. And then this little man opened the door to me. This is exactly what I told him. I told him that my husband was very, very interested in his home because of the haunting phenomena that had occurred in the house over a period of time. And I wondered if he would be gracious enough to let us come in and talk to him. And he said, certainly. And he did. So I beckoned for them to come. Now, this is what the light was. No central plumbing in the house. No central electricity in the house. No heating in the house. This is a cold October night. So we went in, and the room that was off to the left mm-hmm. was a room that he used. All the time during the colder weather, he had a bed in there. He had numerous, numerous shelves with books and photographs. He was a photographer, and this big pot-belly stove. That was it, mm-hmm. and he had a light on the end of 200 feet extension. And that's what he would walk around with for his lighting.
0: Okay. That's
2: what he improvised for his lighting. Primitive, yes. And so we sat down and Ed began to interview him regarding the sighting of this woman referred to as Oceanborn Mary. And Oceanborn Mary had to do with a ship that was attacked by pirates crossing over from the UK into the United States and um, this pirate Pedro was the man's name he had said that this woman who was going into labor that was aboard um, that he would spare them all if she named this baby after his mother not knowing if it was going to be a boy or a girl and thank God it was a girl Right, and she He named her Mary, and um, so that's how she became known as Ocean-Born Mary. And so, anyway, she is the woman who haunts this home. I believe still to today that she still haunts it. So he's going over all of these things with my husband. Now, remember, this is all very Greek to me, Mm -hmm. extremely Greek to me, not to Ed, but to me. So, what happens is that we're sitting like in a semicircle, and I'm kind of partly behind my husband, and I have my arms on the back of his chair, Ed, and I'm listening. Now, this my evaluation on this is important. I'm not thinking anything about anything psychic. Remember, I don't even know what that even means. Right. But what I'm thinking is how sincere this man is. And I was able to discern that, not knowing I was discerning. Right. Just using common sense. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, my ears began to ring. My ears rang so loud that it blotted out everything in that room. blotted out my husband's voice. Mr. Roy's voice. I couldn't hear anything, but I could see. And I was aware, totally aware. And it was as if somebody came behind me now and grabbed my shoulders, and there's a tremendous jolt to my body. I was out of my body, and I was on the second floor looking down. It was spontaneous. Everything that has happened to me regarding my ability has been things that happen spontaneously and naturally. And all of a sudden, Ed, I guess, needed to ask me something, and he turned, and he said that I just stared straight ahead, and he couldn't awaken me, and he became panicky. And he said to the man, what's the matter with her? He said, she must be psychic he said, this happens to a lot of people who are clairvoyant. And he said, what do you mean clairvoyant? He said, she's my wife. He didn't even realize, nor did I, what was really happening. That was in the late 40s. That is when that happened.
1: Were you able to see things around the house during this Obie?
2: But see, that is exactly what the ghost is. That's what they can do. That's exactly what they can do. But it was not intimidating. David, it was not the least bit frightening. I wasn't the least bit frightened by what was happening to me.
1: Now, did you see the spirit in the house while you were doing this then?
2: No, I did not see the spirit in the house while I was out of my body. We did return with this other couple, Mm -hmm. and we did see her coming right down the stairway, which was very, very beautiful.
1: Do you think that maybe you weren't so much having an out-of-body experience, but maybe you were linking in psychically and you were seeing through the ghost's eyes?
2: No. I was out of my body. Okay. I was out of my body. I was, again, that's what they wanted. Everything that they were interested in doing with me at UCLA had to do with all my natural development. Okay. You know, not not trained development or not programmed by Sure. somebody else because... That isn't natural at all. So everything that began to take place from that time on regarding my police work, regarding my research with my husband, regarding work for the federal government, everything all happened in a very natural, very spontaneous way.
1: So that was your first foray into really the paranormal investigations, and there you were right in the middle of it and Mm -hmm. having an experience like that. That's phenomenal
2: without truly knowing what was really going on
1: well you know one of the reasons we have you on the show today is that there is a special coming up on the Discovery Channel here and and it's booked Mm -hmm. for around July 27th if not it should be on shortly after then perhaps you could spend a few minutes and tell us a little bit about the case that you're going to be covering in that story on the Discovery Channel so we can give a little background and history to people and they make sure to tune in and check it out
2: it is a movie That was done regarding the devil in Connecticut case that I believe they are referring to where evil dwells. In this case, it's a young boy. He was 11, 12 years old at the time that we were brought in by the Catholic Church regarding the possession of this child and the outward manifestations that would occur in the home and to him as a child. Doors were opened through occult practices. He turned out to be the most vulnerable in this home and as a result of it, there were many exorcisms performed over him. There were six Roman Catholic priests, four of them uh, schooled and ordained in Rome, that worked along with us on the case. And that has to do with this movie. And the title of the book, which will be out in print, at, supposedly at the end of this month and will go on our website, will, is The Devil in Connecticut. It will come out in print again. Amazon.com brings back books on demand, and the demonologist, which was the extraordinary career of Ed and Lorraine Warren, and now the devil in Connecticut, are two books that are on our website, which is um, Warrens.net. And w W W dot Warrens dot net.
1: And that's W A R R E N S dot net. Well, Lorraine, I can't thank you enough for being a part of our show this evening. And that wraps up our first interview with Lorraine Warren from 2006. If you were listening at the end, just before she began talking about this new special that was about to air the devil in Connecticut, we caught a live EVP. I'm going to take that clip of that EVP and I'll post it on my social media tomorrow. Uh, so that you can hear it again, and if you'd like to share it, feel free to do so. It was one of the most chilling things I remember hearing, and after the interview, I asked Lorraine if she heard that, wondering if maybe it was Ed who was home, hospitalized at home. She was taking care of him. She said, no, David, he's sleeping, and she did not hear it. Now, throughout the entire episode, you did hear the rooster crowing that they had, And the rooster was prevalent throughout, but that voice, and I think somebody in our chat said squealing wheels. Oh, that's not squealing wheels. You get a chance to go back and listen to that. You'll hear it for yourself. Very chilling, very strange. Tomorrow we return and we're going to do another episode, The Conjuring Phantoms of the Past, where Lorraine talks about some of the bigger cases, Enfield Poltergeist, the Borley Rectory, and the ghost nun she encountered, and working with the spirit of famed paranormal investigator, Harry Price. Again, this was our second interview together. And it was the first interview that she granted after the passing of her beloved husband, Ed Warren. It was a real privilege to be able to speak with her. We'll share that tomorrow. And I'd like to thank you all for coming here and spending some time tonight revisiting old memories. And again, I hope that the darkness is just a little brighter with the lights and the memories that we share here on the paranormal 60 until tomorrow, my friends.